the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We hope you've had a great weekend. We're glad that you are joining us again today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Been lots of good stuff posted on there, good discussions. <laughs> Ian tends to throw funny stuff up there. <laughs> well, don't so, throw me into the bus. They don't know it's me. No, no, I, I'm, I, was, I was saying it's funny. It's oh, good. All right, good well, that's stuff. Fair. Good that's stuff. Fair. If you like it, it's me. If you don't, it uh, was Brian. Some other guy. Uh, you can text the show at 68683. That's 68683. Then type in CG in, in the comment section along with your comment or your question or your idea or whatever else it might be. Uh, how's your weekend, man? Uh, I forget already. You forget. Guess what it did? It snowed. <laughs> it, did, it did snow. That's I, true. I'm not going to get into the weather, except that I was really surprised by the amount that I was angry by the how oh, hard it was really? snowing. Like a lot of people were like, there was somebody at church who was like, isn't it so pretty? And I like had to stop myself from saying unchristlike <laughs> things to them. <laughs> I was just so mad. Yeah, I can understand that. There were a lot. We'll talk about this a little bit later. But, you know, the, the slogan for the Game of Thrones premiere was winter's coming. Oh, no. And for it to snow on the day of the premiere, everyone's talking about like, I know HBO has a lot of money, but wow. <laughs> that's a pretty good marketing scheme. <laughs> that's a nice move. Here, file this one away. Something else I want to talk to you about later. All right. Is this. Uh, we have an elevator. We're on the fourth floor here where our studios are. We have an elevator. When I got here today, a uh, person was like, ten, two people were like 10 feet in front of me, got in the elevator, didn't hold the door. <laughs> and it really made me angry. Let's and get them in like, studio. Let's talk to them. I, I want to refile this for later. People, right. you can hang if you want to know what, what the question is for us. But I want to know, what's the protocol there? Felt like they broke protocol. I was not very far behind them, far enough for the door to close. But, you know, I've actually joked about, I think even in this building, joked about we should tape uh, like on the floor, like hey, this is what, if they've crossed this line, you should hold it for them. If not, don't worry about it. Like just have some sort of like etiquette oh. marking on the floor. I wanted to be like, hello, hello, I'm right here. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, it was a guy and a girl. They probably wanted some alone time or whatever. So oh, boy. anyway, oh boy. As pastors, it's it's Holy Week. It's Easter week. It's true. It's and... Holy Week even if you're not a pastor. <laughs> Good point. Good point. It's a little more. <laughs> you, you pick up on more things in my uh, that I say that even my wife does. Let's <laughs> get them. But it's Holy Week for all of us. For pastors, it's it's a big week to to prep and to get ready. And yesterday is the kickoff. Oftentimes when we talk about Easter week, we just talk about Good Friday and Easter. But really, yesterday's Palm Sunday, uh, and, and it's a it's the start of Holy Week. And, uh, and I want to jump into an article that was on Christianity Today by Jonathan Merritt that was fascinating, and I think he did such a good job. Um, but before jumping into it, why don't you? Uh, what's uh, what are your thoughts on Palm Sunday? Well, you you posted some good stuff uh, on your own personal Facebook page. 
what, what's kind of your reflection upon Palm Sunday? Yeah, I, Palm Sunday for me, um, I grew up in a church that had the palms every Sunday. And then when I moved out here and I started interning at other churches, it was interesting to see the different ways the churches yep. did or didn't celebrate or acknowledge or celebrate. I mean, it was that that part alone was pretty fascinating yep. to me. Um, but what I what I hadn't really realized uh, until a few years ago that like the palm branches in particular uh, had some historical significance. Mainly, uh, a guy named Judas Maccabees yep. who overthrew Syrian oppressors like 100, 150 years prior, and uh, his nickname was the Hammer. Mm. And then the palm branch was sort of his icon that was put on his coinage. So there's there's some good scholarly work to suggest yeah. that part of the reason Jesus was weeping before his entrance is that all these people were waving these palm branches expecting another military leader, right? like an earthly conquering king. And and part of what some people have asserted is his his weeping was that he's like, God, oh, they still don't get it. Yep. They're still expecting <clears throat> this kind of rule or this kind of lord when, when, you know, he would normally, when a king like that would come in on a war horse, mm-hmm. this this peculiar rabbi comes in on a donkey right. and just sort of flips everything upside down. And I'd never really known that about the branches. And many people have said, well, we're we're reclaiming the branches, right? Yeah. Like that's why we wave them now is because we do get it. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, I, I really kind of struggled back and forth with should we or should we not? Is that kind of a celebration of us missing the point? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wanting Jesus to be something that he's never intended to be yeah. or, so I don't know. I, I really, really love the day. Yeah. And uh, I think it is, it is the beginning of a, you know, maybe the most important uh, week on the church calendar yeah. for, for Christ followers. So as I mentioned, Jonathan Merritt in Christianity Today wrote an article called Palm Sunday and the Gift of Disillusionment. And Merritt's just a great writer, whether you agree with his stuff or not. He's very, he oftentimes will uh, bring up stuff that for people to really wrestle with. And in it, uh, he shares his own personal journey over the last year or two of like some chronic pain where they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. Yeah. And he links it to the disillusionment that people would have felt just exactly what you're discussing from Palm Sunday. They expected this conquering king uh-huh. a week later. He's hanging on a Roman cross and not doing what he wants. And. And uh, Merritt says this, he says, Palm Sunday story displays the transition from expectation to disappointment in technicolor. The triumph becomes a trial and the trial becomes an execution. Jesus entered the city on a donkey, but we know he will leave it in a body bag. Mm. This is not just a fun parade. Jesus is walking down death row. And that gets a little bit at what you were talking about, about this kind of disillusionment. But I've never linked, I've never thought of Palm Sunday in that way. I found it very interesting. Well, one of the things that I wrote, too, at the end of this article, not to quote myself, that feels a little self-serving, but uh, I said that, you know, all these people lined the streets, had different reasons for waving these branches. Some were political activists, and they'd heard Jesus had supernatural power, and they wanted him to use it to free Israel. Uh, Others had loved ones who were sick or dying. They waved branches hoping for physical healing. Jesus was the only one in the parade who knew why he was going to Jerusalem to die. Mm. He had a mission while everyone else had an agenda. And, like, when I write stuff like that— I mean, I hope this is clear. I, that's like me. That's me preaching to myself. Absolutely. That's because how easy is it for us, to, especially as pastors, to approach Jesus with an agenda yep. to have Jesus say or do something that he didn't say or do for the purposes of a sermon illustration or, you know, in quote unquote, in the name of the church. Yep. And that can be, I mean, how hard is it even just to read scripture without in the back of your brain, Pastor Brian Fromm somewhere goes, Oh, that'll be a good illustration. Oh, well, all the time. You know what I mean? Like it is yeah. it is embarrassing to admit how often uh I think we wave our own proverbial branches wanting Jesus to move in a certain way that he's been pretty clear he doesn't yes. and isn't interested in. And so often we, you know, even in my own personal battles, 
where I think with good intentions, we say, God, I want you just to conquer this thing. And sometimes I think Jesus is saying, I want to suffer with you in yeah. this thing. Yeah. Like, man, the, the Jesus, the, the true Messiah is often doing things that are far more surprising than I would care to admit. And I, I think that for me, this Holy Week is always a good reminder that when we want Jesus on a war horse, he often comes on a donkey. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's a good reminder for us heading into Easter weekend. It's such an important point because... Like you said, we, none of us would say we're creating God in our own image, right. like what we want, but we do it all the time. Totally. And that's what these people were doing in that first week. They're they're waving the palm branches saying our conquering king is coming. Uh, and I, let me just read to you how uh, how Merritt finishes the article. Because like we said, this is really him wrestling through yeah. a change in his own life of chronic pain and and, and they can't figure out what's wrong with them and, and God's not healing them. He says, I've traded these lies for a truth that in times of difficulty, God offers us his presence, not a parachute. Hmm. This exchange has transformed my disappointment into disillusionment, and disillusion turned out to be a horrible, wonderful gift. What we experience as disappointment is an invitation to give up holding tight to what we hope is true, to stop trying to cast God in our image, to let God be who God is, not who we wish God would be. That'll preach, man. I mean, that is really powerful. That's really powerful. So, yeah, we're often running in Holy Week, and uh, we often just run past Palm Sunday, but hopefully you even see the importance uh, of that day of Jesus is setting his face to Jerusalem and riding in on a donkey. Well, coming up next, uh, you probably saw it. Did you hear Tiger Woods won yesterday? I won the did, Masters? I did. I, I, uh, I got a little emotional watching it. And that's honest. what I want to talk about because right. for a lot of us, it has conjured up this emotion that I think for some is even surprising. So we're going to talk about Tiger Woods's win at the Masters. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type CG in the comment section. And then whatever it is you want to share with us. We'd be really interested to know some of your takes on what we're about to talk about. Because if you were like me yesterday, Ian, after church, you got home and watched a little bit of Tiger Woods. What do you think? Did more did more people miss church yesterday because of the snow in Chicagoland, or was that convenient excuse to watch Tiger at eight thirty? Nah, I think it was the snow. <laughs> I really do. I do. And uh, so the the Masters it got moved into the morning because of a coming storm, and uh, something that most people didn't think could ever happen, and that's that Tiger Woods won his fifteenth fifteenth major and by far his most improbable major. And it was like, it was always kind of nice having him still around yesterday. And all of a sudden, like it hit at some point. You're like, I think he's going to win. And there it got to be somewhat of like uh, an emotional moment. I know for myself, like I'm the age where like, I'm the same age as Tiger. Basically, maybe we might be a year different. Oh, really? Yeah. And so uh, to see him win was amazing because I used to love watching him. And then to see the depths that he went into both physically, but also personally, but then to sit and watch it with my son, yeah, and and then the moment that I think got all of us surprising, like a surprising emotion, was when they he hugged his son, and then they showed the picture of him hugging his own dad at his first Masters. Uh-huh. Like done. Like if you don't have a heart, then then that's crazy. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of it you were able to watch after after church or all because it was in the morning. But man, it was compelling. Yeah, I I actually was at the uh, I was at the church building all day, so I was watching it. <laughs> After we had a leadership meeting and we had some baptisms, so I was sort of like only half paying attention. Wow! But it seemed like the whole office kind of stopped, you know, during this, particularly the moment him like scooping up his kid. And oh, then crazy. it was interesting because we, you know, we have an open concept office, so it sort of uh, harvests 
uh, conversation. It sort of is like no. just it, you can't avoid it. And so some people were like you saying teary eyed and emotional, and other people were like, "Well, but he's he's got a pretty riddled past. How excited should we be?" And that like spurred, yep. I think, a really interesting conversation about forgiveness and redemption and what we do and don't celebrate. Because I did see a lot of people post things like, "If you're not crying right now, you're not human." Yes, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I think it might be more complicated than yeah. that, though." And yeah. I think his accomplishment is incredible. One of the headlines that I read earlier today was uh, Tiger Woods has climbed 1,193 spots in the world golf rankings in a little more than a year. I don't know a whole lot about golf. I think that's good. That's good. I think that's remarkable. But then I've also read other articles uh, for people that are saying, hey, let's not forget, though, some of the history here. Not not that we can't still celebrate uh, an incredible athletic feat. However... There's a narrative that's led to this point um, that we can't just whitewash. We can't yep. just pretend that didn't exist. And it's it's uh, a little frustrating because I feel like the people that are bringing that up, um, even if respe- respectfully, the the counter argument is like, oh, why can't you just celebrate the win? Why yeah. can't if you're not crying, you're not human. You're like, well, that's not <laughs> really helpful. So I don't know. Like you're you know you're certainly more the sports guy than I am. How how does the like riddled past influence the way that you engage with what happened yesterday? Yeah, I, I can kind of compartmentalize, to be honest with you. Like, really? And especially because so much of his brokenness was physical in the end. Like, that's why he wasn't able to play golf. Like, <laughs> this is going to sound really detached and bad, but you start to forget what what started his demise. That does um, sound detached and bad. Because it was, it's now <laughs> been years. But um, I do want to play uh, Mike Greenberg on uh, ESPN's Get Up. Uh, he kind of did like a two-minute kind of a reflection upon that. And I found it really powerful. It kind of encapsulated kind of how I was feeling watching it. So let's listen to what Mike Greenberg said about this. How does one put into words the masterpiece of accomplishment and emotion that Tiger Woods created this weekend, which culminated in what was surely among the most consequential victories in the history of his or maybe any sport? I could sit here and tell you it was the longest span between Masters wins ever, that he now has more jackets than Palmer and only one fewer than Nicholas, that he's now just one behind Sneed for the most tour wins ever, and that the chase for Jack's 18 is back and better than ever. But none of those seem important enough, because those are all about sports. Yesterday felt like it was about a lot more than that. Tiger Woods has been so famous for so long, for so many reasons, it's hard to keep track of them all. Consider that when Tiger won his first Masters, Tom Brady was the backup quarterback at Michigan. George W. Bush was the governor of Texas, and the iPhone was 10 years away from being invented. He was LeBron 10 years before LeBron. He was Zion 20 years before Zion. He also brought people to the game of golf who would never otherwise have been interested, at least in part because they had never been made to feel welcome. When he cried for his father, we cried with him. When he played the game better than anyone ever had before, it took our breath away. And then, he didn't just fall, he plummeted. He didn't just get hurt, he looked like he'd never walk without pain again. He didn't just slip. Two years ago this week, he was ranked 780th in the world. And then, just when we had all given up and resigned ourselves to moving on, he came back. And he brought with him not just the past, but an entirely new present. One with a little easier smile on his face. He was still larger than life, but now he seemed so much more human. And then he won, and he lifted his son into his arms. And the image of a man and his son in triumph on the 18th green at the most famous golf course in the world came full circle. And it was the same, and it was different. And it was somehow better than it had ever been. And so perhaps all I can tell you is that in all the years I've been watching sports, which means all the years of my life, 
I have never seen anything quite like this weekend. And I'm pretty darn sure I will never see anything like it again. I just think he encapsulates it so beautifully. And I know when I was sitting with my son, I told my son yesterday, and again, it's just sports in the end, but there's like a redemption story to it that I told my son. I said, you know, uh, Jackson, like, this might be the be- the biggest uh, sporting event that you've ever experienced, like right now, like this mm-hmm. biggest sports moment that you've ever experienced. Man, I, I can tend to get sappy with like uh, with stuff that in the end might be somewhat trivial, but man, he's been so low. They said, I heard a thing today that Tiger Woods, two years ago after his second back surgery or three or maybe three years ago, uh, he couldn't get out of a chair for months. Right. And now he's beating the best golfers in the world. And so it's just... Uh, not to whitewash, you know, and uh, not to whitewash what he did in the past, but in some ways that even makes the redemption crazier. Um, but yeah, I I I have not been moved by a sporting event emotionally like that in a long time. Let me let me just share what uh, Sarah Spain wrote. She's a writer for ESPN. She wrote this really great article, kind of wrestling with the tension of it all. Yeah. Um, which is something that we've said a number of times. Entering into the gray and the the tense, the stuff that you know doesn't have easy answers, and the, the article itself is really good, but she, she ends it by saying this. She said, you can root for that perfect scene on the final hole and still see it within the context of his larger story. My mm-hmm. humanity doesn't hinge on whether Tiger's win brought me to tears. In fact, perhaps it's more fully evidenced by the fact that it didn't. Uh-huh. Like, I thought that was a really convicting, especially from the perspective of a woman, to say, hey, it, it is, uh, I, I was even rooting for him, she says earlier in the article. Yep. So I'm not, I'm certainly not uh, opposed to that, but at least from her perspective, she's like, I, I can't just forget the events yeah. that brought him to this point. Uh, even if it's Brian Fromm sitting with this boy, even yeah. if it's Ian trying to explain it to a 17 month old who, you know, has no idea what's happened. Like, yep. you know, even if it's that field of dreams moment, you know, where we're seeing the side by side of him scooping up his son and then years prior to him, you know, hugging his dad, all, all of that is still very valid. But uh, yeah, I, I think that she's, she's got something there that it, it it has to still be held in the context yeah. of the larger story, and that's that's a really important piece. Rarely is it just black and white, but um, th- here's another weird aspect to it. I was just reading this, that at between 9 a.m. and 2.30, so while Tiger was playing, like right now with all the stuff that we have media-wise to be able to watch, right, like people aren't all ever watching the same things. It says 21% of all the televisions that were on in the United States from 9 a.m. till 2.30 p.m. yesterday were tuned to, to the live coverage of Tiger's Masters win. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So we'd love your feedback because, uh, as Ian has done a good job uh, discussing here, it is a complex issue. Tiger's life is complex. And uh, are you able to differentiate that, or is it inappropriate to differentiate? How were you feeling yesterday? So we're going to put an article up on Facebook. We'll also You can also text us. At 68683, that's 68683. Well, we're coming up next, we're going to talk to a guy by the name of Jason Romano. He is a former producer at ESPN, and he's now a host of the Sports Spectrum podcast, as well as the author of Live to Forgive. Uh, so we're going to ask him about Tiger Woods, but then we're going to dive into his book about forgiveness. That's what's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, and uh, we are more than excited to be joined on the phone right now by Jason Romano. Jason, thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you both. Thanks for having me, Brian and Ian. Absolutely. Jason is a speaker, an author, a media consultant, and a church leader. 
Uh, for 17 years, he was an Emmy Award-winning producer and senior manager at ESPN. Basically, those of us who love ESPN, he's worked on all those shows yeah. and provided content for all of them. Uh, he has since left, and he now runs and uh, leads the Sports Spectrum podcast, as well as he authored a book recently called Live to Forgive that we're going to talk about in a minute. But Jason, right before you came on, Ian and I were just talking about uh, how enthralled we were with Tiger Woods yesterday. And you haven't worked at ESPN, and I know being a big sports fan and stuff, we were both saying that we felt oddly emotional about it in watching it. It wasn't much more than kind of a sporting event. I'm sure you watched it. Uh, love to know what you were feeling and as you watched that play out yesterday. Yeah, it's interesting, guys. I was I was at my uh, in-laws' house mm. of all days. My wife's birthday. We were celebrating it, and we were just kind of hanging out. And um, you know, I'm checking Twitter. My alerts are going on my phone, and I see Tiger is you know in the in the running here. And I'm not a huge golf fan. Just self confession, I don't play the game. I'm not a huge fan of watching it. Mm. I don't, I respect it for sure. And I love um, the guys that are on the course doing their thing, but I'm not just, I'm just not a big fan of it. But when Tiger's playing on a Sunday, that's a different, you know, different animal. And I'm watching usually whatever tournament it is. And when he's going for his first major in, you know, 13 years or 14 years and and playing in the masters, well, that's completely different. So I'm (laughs) sitting there and I'm watching it and I was amazed. It was really, I was trying to explain to my in-laws about, how far away he is from winning and the shot. And I'm not even a, a golf you know, expert myself, but I knew greatness and, and a real cool uh, sports moment was happening. And my daughter was there and I'm trying to explain to her why this is a big deal and explaining to her, imagine watching Michael Jordan in his prime, you know, or, or imagine watching LeBron at his apex at where he was, and, right. you know, maybe one of the best, you know, at what they do, this is that guy, but this is like 10 years since he's done yeah. what he's doing right now. It yeah. was really a cool moment. And then when he hugged his son, Ugh. you know, and I'm watching it with my daughter, I mean, come on, that's just gives you chills. Yeah, uh, it, was, no kidding. it was an amazing sports moment to watch. Yeah. No kidding. All right. So bef- before we get into your book, then I want to, I want to get into some of your origin story, mainly how you became yeah. a producer at ESPN and then, and then why you left, because it sounds like you really loved your job and you were doing what you love to do, and then you walked away from it. So just give us a little backstory and, and why you left uh, such, a, such a position. Yeah, so I was always a sportsman growing up, and, and when I was in high school, I wanted to go into broadcasting. Uh, went to college and did the broadcasting and media thing. Um, out, of, out of college, uh, you know, I worked locally in my hometown of Albany, New York, for three years and did local radio, and then an amazing opportunity came to go work for ESPN. Uh, the story of how I got there will have to probably hold off for another day, <laughs> but it was it's kind of crazy on how it happened and, and came together after almost a two-year process. And then I got there, and it was an amazing opportunity to, to work there and an awesome job. I mean, it was a dream job, just like you know somebody would look at it and say, it's a dream job to go work at a place like ESPN. And I loved what I did. I got to produce some of the great shows and some amazing people that you know and have seen if you watch ESPN over the years. And I worked on the NFL Project and Outside the Lines and Sports Center and Mike and Mike and the NFL shows. It was such an, a cool opportunity. But God had been stirring in me for a few years, uh, since probably around 2015, that it, my time might be up. Mm. And I started there in 2000, so I was on about the 15-year mark of my career at ESPN, and I just really felt the call from God to do more for him. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that 
he was asking me to do more for him. And, and, and I thought he was asking me to do that through my job and through the talents that I had um, and skills I had acquired over the years. And so for the next two years from 2015 to February of 2017, I really spent that time being what I like to call um, actively patient <laughs> in trying to figure out what the Lord was, was, was doing here. And it was February 2017 when I said goodbye to ESPN and followed my call to do more for God and uh, to do ministry, really, uh, both with a speaking career and my book and releasing my first book, but also even more to work in sports ministry and be able to interview athletes and different people in the sports world and tell the story of sports, but through the lens of faith in Christ. So that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. And it's kind of weird to still say it's been two years, but yeah, I left the dream job in essence to follow God's call. And now I feel like I'm in another dream job because I love what I do. That's awesome. And now you're at, before we talk about your book again, you're at Sports Spectrum. And uh, I remember Sports Spectrum, the radio show growing up and reading the magazine yeah. and stuff. But you host a podcast with, uh, and is that what it is? It's basically uh, men and women from the sports world coming in and talking about their faith? Yes. So the, the podcast has been going on for a little over two years. It's me interviewing different uh, you know, athletes, coaches, former players, broadcasters, pastors, you name it. I've interviewed them uh, in just in the intersection of sports and faith. Sometimes there's a lot of faith. Sometimes there's a lot of sports, but there's always a mixture of the two. And you mentioned the magazine. The magazine's still going strong. It's been going on for 30 plus years and is still out there, a quarterly magazine. And then our website, which is updated daily, has content every single day, stories, articles, daily devotionals on the intersection of sports and faith. So, yeah, it's been a cool thing to kind of relaunch and revamp the sports spectrum brand and now kind of bring it to a different place with the podcast that's fantastic okay so now we got we got to get into the book then it's called live to forgive and uh i I think your perspective forgiveness is one of those things that you know brian has said as as pastors we we could talk about this for hours just because i feel like it's something that's always in the forefront of our lives and the lives of our people but you grew up with a with an alcoholic dad, and it feels like that's part of the genesis of writing this book in particular. So, can you talk a little bit about your experience and the book specifically, and then maybe why you find forgiveness to be so dang hard for all of us? Yeah, the the book came from uh, you know just growing up with an alcoholic father, and you know walking through really forty years of a lot of pain, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness that I had in my life towards him. Uh, my dad never physically uh, touched me or my brothers, but there was a lot of emotional, mental pain that was caused from his drinking. Uh, he was a very um, loud and, and, and verbally abusive man when he would be intoxicated, and that mm. happened quite a bit. Mm. Uh, my parents divorced when I was young, so it was very much a broken home, and my, my dad was, um, was a mess for so many, many years. And then in 2013, he reached his lowest point, and uh, didn't want to live anymore, and miraculously was able to stay alive, and not only that, but turn around his life and get sober. Wow. And so through, through that, um, I started to share my story a little bit. I'm an elder at my church, and so I shared the story from the pulpit about three years ago for the first time, three or four years ago, and I suddenly saw when I was sharing this story that I wasn't the only one that went through anything like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, that unforgiveness, that bitterness that was inside my, my, my spirit for so many years— um, I finally was able to forgive my dad when he got sober. Uh, and it wasn't because of him getting sober. It was just a moment when he was at his lowest point that I really did some soul searching 
on uh, what I truly believe, my faith in God, and how could I hold some and harbor this bitterness and unforgiveness towards him as a believer when I'm asking God for forgiveness and Jesus for forgiveness every single day when I wake up. And it was a real revelation for me that I started to share with others. And through doing that, um, I saw an interest and I saw a commonality from so many people that I talked to. And that's where the, the idea for the book started to come from a friend of mine who I told uh, this story to, and they just felt it was something that, you know, was a struggle for all of us, forgiveness on yeah. all levels and all faiths, to be quite honest. And so I wrote the book with the intention of reaching as many people and telling them my story, but also a lot of application in the, in the book as well, not just a narrative of how to you know enter into a place of forgiveness when you're struggling to let go and move on from those that have hurt you. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, that's where that's really where the book stemmed from and, and kind of why I felt it was so important to talk about and share you know, that story. Outstanding. That book, again, is called Live to Forgive. We're talking to the author of it, Jason Romano. Uh, and Jason, we could talk for a long time about forgiveness, but what you've done here is uh, very powerful because uh, as pastors, we know uh, that this topic of forgiveness is such a difficult one. For people, we'd love to have you on again sometime, talk more about forgiveness, more sports, anything else. But we want to just say thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Jason Romano. Again, he's the author of Live to Forgive. You can also find him at jasonromano.com or on Twitter uh, at Jason Romano. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Brian and Ian, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real privilege to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Again, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And Ian, we are excited to be joined on the phone by Devon Franklin. Devon Franklin is the producer of the upcoming film that is about to come out on April 17th called Breakthrough. So, Devon, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's just do a little bit of background. Devon Franklin is an award-winning film and TV producer, best-selling author, preacher, and spiritual success coach. Right there, you know, I don't feel like I do anything. So <laughs> I feel that way with most of our guests. All of our guests are doing more than we're doing. <laughs> you can find out more about the movie at, at BreakthroughMovie.com. That's BreakthroughMovie.com. And you can also go to Devon Franklin. Dot com And the movie, again, opens in theaters on April 17th. And uh, Devon, I want to start there before getting into what the movie's about. And we were talking a little bit off air, but just how are you doing? This project that you've probably been working on and dreaming about and sweating over is about to go out to the masses. So how are you doing with this? Uh, you know, I'm doing good. You know, I mean, I'm nervous. I'm, uh, you know, sleep deprived, uh, <laughs> anxious, all of those things. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to bring this movie, this incredible true story to the world. Uh, I believe that people are going to be deeply moved by it. I think it's going to be inspiring to so many. And uh, I'm excited about it. So all the nervousness is, is for good reason. <laughs> I can feel that. So we've been talking about this show, actually, for a couple of weeks. But for anyone who's not aware, would you just give us a synopsis of what the, of what the film's actually about? Sure. You know, Breakthrough is the true story of a mother who prays her son back to life after he dies falling through a frozen lake. Mm. Uh, and, you know, John Smith was 14 years old just a few years ago. He was playing on a frozen lake. He fell through it. Uh, he died. He was without oxygen for 15 minutes. When they brought him up, he had no pulse. Uh, they took him to the emergency room. They tried to revive him for another 45 minutes. They couldn't do it. 
and they told his mother that uh, they've done all they could do, and now is the time to say goodbye. And his mother, instead of saying goodbye, goes into the emergency room, and she puts her hands on his feet and says, Holy Spirit, bring back my son. Wow. And literally, um, the moment that she prays, her son, John Smith, got his pulse back. And that was the beginning of a miraculous recovery. Wow. And, um, you know, Joy Smith is played by Chrissy Metz, the star of this, one of the stars of This Is Us. We also have Josh Lucas and Topher Grace and Dennis Haysbert and Mike Coulter. Uh, we have an incredible all-star cast that has come together to tell this true story. I, and that, that sounds like an awesome movie. I'm, I'm curious, people who are not of the faith, who aren't Jesus followers, what kind of reaction have they been given to the movie, the people who've seen it before it's come out? Oh, my goodness. They're moved by it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've, there have been so many people. We've been, I've been screening the film um, since the fall of last year as part of our grassroots campaign and, you know, screened it for a lot of people who, um, you know, are not, uh, quote, unquote, of faith, and their response to it has been amazing. They've been moved by it. It's a human story. It's yeah. a true story. It's a mother who loves her son so much that she's not willing to say goodbye. Right. So as a result, it's incredibly relatable. Um, you know, it's not in, in the medical record. It says patient dead, mother prayed, patient came back to life. That's the <laughs> medical record. Oh, That's not a religious wow. point of view or anything. That's so, incredible. Uh, as a yeah, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing. And um, and what I love about it is uh, it is able to cut through. It's a universal story. Um, love is universal. And uh, community is universal, and this movie puts both of those on display, I think, in a very wonderful, profound, and powerful way. Okay, so here, here's what I want to ask them. Brian asked about people that maybe don't consider themselves Christians. Why do you think it is that sometimes people who are Christians struggle to pray prayers like this? Like that, it's not only the the, the love of a mother, it's also kind of the boldness of a mother to say, all right, uh, I know that the doctors are saying one thing, I'm going to pray and believe something else. Like, I feel like... So often, particularly in the West, we struggle to pray with that kind of boldness. I, I'm curious, why do you why do you think that is? Like, why do we hesitate to pray that way, and why does stories like this so resonate with us? You know why? I think that a lot of times um, it's because we uh, know faith intellectually, mm. but we don't practice it. Meaning, like, we get like, oh yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. But the reality is when uh, situations happen in life, we kind of default to uh, what we would normally do, which yeah. is, oh, wait, you know, we're going to worry. We default to discouragement. We default to, can I control this? Instead of really making a practice of defaulting to a spiritual response mm. in addition to a practical one. And I do think a movie like this, especially for people of faith, will we'll challenge people of faith to be more bold, bold in their prayers. I mean, Joy Smith uh, was bold. Uh, and, and because of her boldness spiritually, her son, John Smith, is alive. He's 18 years old now, wow. about to graduate high school, uh, no brain damage, no wow. lung damage, no eye damage, no evidence of what he went through. And that all has to do with his mother praying boldly and believing boldly. And I'm hoping that this is a catalyst uh, of faith for uh, believers all around the country and the world that see this movie. Hmm. Again, you're listening to Devon Franklin, the producer of The Breakthrough Movie. You can go to BreakthroughMovie.com. And it opens in theaters this week on April 17th. I was doing some reading about the movie, Devon, and saw that uh, Steph Curry is one of the ex- executive producers from the Golden State Warriors. Um, talk to us about that. How did that come about, and what role has he played? And having a name behind it like that, what, uh, what does that do for the movie? You know, um, uh, you know, it came about because he and I got together, and he was just telling me about his desire to be in film. And I've been in uh, entertainment for you know, over 20 years. 
and um, you know he wanted to do films that have faith, family, and sports. Mm. And so I said, okay. You know, I sent him this book, The Breakthrough, and I said, listen, John Smith is a basketball player. If you're interested, I'll make you an executive producer. Uh, he read the script. He loved it, read it within a day, and said, I'm in. So I made him an executive producer. Wow. And uh, the same way, you know, he has an incredible all-star team with the Warriors. I wanted to have an incredible all-star team with Breakthrough. Yeah, that's so good. The world. So, yeah, so he's definitely, um, you know, a big part of uh, amplifying the message. So one of the things, and this is a, a complicated, heavy question, but – I imagine there are people listening who are thinking or saying, you know what, I, I had a loved one that I prayed for, that I, I loved deeply and I prayed with confidence and boldness, and that person wasn't healed. You know, it, it went a direction that we, we weren't seeing. And one of the things that Brian and I are finding even with the show is that um, it's not just Christ followers that are listening. A lot of times it's people that are like curious about faith, but they're not really sure what to do with this one piece or this one aspect. Could you just speak maybe a little bit to the person right now who feels like the bottom has dropped out for them or for a loved one, and they're praying with boldness and confidence, and yet they're not seeing anything happen? Like, what what encouragement or hope would, would you give to someone listening in, in that kind of state right now? You know, the movie, um, we tackle this in the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, it's certainly very, very important. Um, and I can relate to that person that necessarily hasn't gotten their prayers answered. You know, my father uh, passed away when I was nine years old, wow. uh, when he was 36. He died of a heart attack. Wow. Uh, so I understand the idea of why does God save some and not others. Mm. Uh, yet, even in the face of not having that answer, um, it doesn't take away for me the reality that God is still a loving God, that there are things that are going to happen that are beyond my understanding. And in the midst of not understanding, uh, we still have to persevere. We mm. still have to continue to be there for one another. Um, and this movie does tackle that. You know, this movie doesn't um, by any means portray, if you pray hard enough, here's what will happen. What it does portray accurately is an instance of prayer working mm-hmm. uh, in a way that it was requested. But for those that do not get their prayers answered, I don't think it devalues prayer. I think it requires more empathy, sympathy, and understanding. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who, you know, lives with the reality of an unanswered prayer every day, mm-hmm. uh, I try to live in a way where I can be Comfort, I can provide comfort to those that don't get their prayers answered in the way they may like, yet still affirming that God uh, is still loving and that he cares. Thank you so much for that. That's good. Uh, my last question with the couple, you know, the 30 seconds we have left is, is this, uh, uh, to parents out there, a good movie for kids? Bring your kids to this movie as well and yes. a good family-friendly movie? Yes. Without a doubt. This is a PG movie. Uh, so this is a movie for everybody, Great. and I want everyone, every family, you know, I've, I've screened it for, young, for kids as young as – uh, five and six years old, all the way to uh, grandparents in their 80s. Uh, and let me tell you, the movie plays to the youngest as well as to the oldest. This is a family film just in time for Easter. And people always come to me and say, you know, we want more family content mm-hmm. and uplifting content. And I listen. And I say, okay, now listen, you know, if you're going to get behind, you know, the Marvel films, and you got to get behind this film as mm-hmm. a believer. Um, because this, yeah. puts on, this puts on display a real superhero, yeah. a praying mother, and the real superpower of prayer. And anyone coming to this film can do that, and I think families will be inspired by it all around the world. Well, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. If you want to see Breakthrough, it opens in theaters this week on April 17th. To find out more, you can go to BreakthroughMovie.com. That's BreakthroughMovie.com. Devon Franklin, producer of Breakthrough, thank you so much for joining us today, and good luck with the movie. Of course, thanks so much for your help and support. Absolutely. So you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. You can podcast us wherever it is you get your podcasts. And you can text us at 68683. That's 68683. Type in CG followed uh, by whatever it is that you would like to share with us via text. Uh, so, man, every now and then, you know, we're Monday, it's Easter week, we're having fun today, but every now and then uh, you, you just kind of turn on Twitter and you're like, man, there's some stuff going on that's crazy. And today, earlier today, we started seeing these images of uh, of Notre Dame in Paris uh, just burning down. Yeah. And, and, man, uh, it, it's tragic. It's, yeah. it's just hard. And I know we're, we're not going to talk much about it because I don't feel like you or I have been able to get our arms around it yet. Maybe later in the week we'll talk more about it. but. It's just it's just profoundly sad. And you've been there before. I have been. I haven't been. Yep. But even that though, even having never been there, it's I don't know, it's leaving a weird pit in my stomach because yeah. it's this not just because it's iconic, but it's, you know, this love for sacred spaces and ancient architecture and I know a number of friends who have played music there or you know, wow. had really life-changing moments there and yeah, I, yeah, it's it's doing some weird things to me. Watch, watching the the different you know clips that are showing up online, watching different parts of it crumble to the ground, and it's really hard to watch. Yeah, it's just it is just crazy. So prayers for the people out there, and um, yeah, it's just a, it causes reflection and sadness. You, you know, I don't know what else there is to say except it's just a sad event. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, some part of it will be saved and can be rebuilt, but we shall see. Um, yeah, so making a quick right turn here, we also saw today was the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. So I always think Boston does it kind of cool. Like they have uh, an entire day. Everybody gets off of work, basically. They start the baseball game at like 11 in the morning, which never happens. But right. that way people will get out of it as people are starting to cross the finish line. And uh, the Boston Marathon, you ever had a, you, have you ever had a desire to run a marathon? Uh, fleeting, fleeting. <laughs> yeah. It uh, it usually comes in a in a brief bolt of lightning yes. when like a lot of people around me are training for one. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to do. A I should do that. Yeah. And then I like later that week we'll go run a mile. I'm like, nah, that's that's plenty. That's plenty of miles for me. I'm I'm done with that one. Yes, Wait, you though? Have you are you interested in doing no, something like that? No, <laughs> not even close. No, I've never been much of a runner or distance runner. Now I don't know. I, this probably has more to do with being out of shape than anything. Now when I run, my back hurts. That's the 41-year-old in me just like, oh, getting old and creaky. <laughs> At but least you got that new mattress. I do have high <laughs> – yes, there you go. <laughs> I do have high amounts of respect for people who run marathons oh, or do sure. triathlons. It's just uh, – because you you know people who are training for them, and they'll be like, oh, today I have to run my 20-miler, so it's going to take me five hours. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, you're just kind of going for it. But uh, today and, – and I wasn't really sure. I didn't see where they were from. But today, one of the craziest things happened ever in the marathon um, – the men's marathon was ending, and usually over the course of 26.2 miles, usually there's some separation between, you know, the winner and second place because it's 26 miles. So, yeah. well, today, 
I would encourage you guys to go out and find it on you know Sports Center, YouTube, whatever else. Today, the uh, like a hundred yards out, the first and second guys were neck and neck. They were next to each other, right? And they this is the most amazing thing. They've run twenty six point two miles over. You know, they run like you know however many minute mer- miles, just crazy fast, right? And uh, I always assume they're Kenyans, but who knows? And all of a sudden, they take off, and these two guys start sprinting from, like, a couple hundred yards out. And you're like, I feel like if I ran 26 miles, if I ever had the ability to do it, and then it was like, I've got to kick it into another gear here to try to win. Right. I mean, like, that gear would not exist. Yeah. And these guys, like, kick it into another gear, and one of the guys beats the other guy by probably two or three steps. And I don't know why. It was just inspiring uh, and just amazing because you never take marathon running with sprinting and so to see them do it was just fascinating yeah i just watched a compilation the other day and i don't know what's wrong with me that finds such sick pleasure in watching these things but the whole compilation was people who celebrated way too early oh, so no. uh oh, it's no. uh it's like holding the football out just a couple of yards before the end zone and then getting it smacked out of your hand or uh someone particularly in cycling that happens a lot where they yes. like Put their put both their arms out in victory and then lose their balance and like wipe out and then you know are passed by six or seven other people. Like there's something about not finishing the race well, and I'm really trying hard not to like turn into sermon mode here. But there is something, and again, that's not the case with the Boston Marathon. It looks like yeah. both those guys were you know running their hearts out, Absolutely. and it just was a really surprise ending. But that idea of like persevering all the way to the end, and the thing yeah. that these compilations of guys who celebrate too early especially like with how long stuff lives on the internet now like oh man you were it doesn't discredit all your training it doesn't discredit the fact that you're a very fast talented individual whatever the thing is but this oh i can see the end so i'm just gonna coast from here to there and then watching them just get absolutely shamed like i don't know there's a bunch of metaphors there for sure that i'm always trying to like learn from that stuff and not just laugh at it like okay I'm not a runner, so that's not necessarily something I'm in danger of. But what are some other ways, Ian, that yeah. you tend to celebrate too early or get a little too comfortable or a little, you know what I mean? Like, make sure that, you you know, you keep running the race. And I think, man, I don't know, watching stuff like this, like you said, watching them kick it into another gear was, was I mean, that was inspiring enough. It's but crazy. then to watch this, like, step-in-step finale was like such a i mean i just full of metaphor that i thought was really really powerful yeah we'll tackle those metaphors again i like those that's why we're pastors you know we like to take those in but it was just i don't know it was just unbelievable like you said to see them be able to kick into uh, another gear and just go and uh yeah i always hate those ones where they finish too early like you said i've watched those too and the people who like it's in the Olympics and they're like a skier and they just went too soon. Like you're like been training for your entire life. And yeah, it's, right. It's always it's always so heartbreaking when those happen. But well, not I mean, I'm talking about guys that celebrate that they're like getting cocky. And yep. that I, I'm the first big race that I ran, I was in fifth grade and this was the year before I was homeschooled. So uh, it was a big deal because it was, you know, we're in elementary school, but we got to run at like the the big kid track up at the high school and it had, you know, lines and numbers and all that. And the track was really confusing uh, because I'd never run on a track like that before. And so I'd been training and running and training and running. And then the big race day came and uh, I ran a really great race and uh, and I and I stopped. So I like I crossed the line. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna catch. I was like, man, I ran a good race, and I heard all this, all these people screaming, 
And I was like, oh, man, they're like cheering me. Way to go. And then my, my brother uh, kind of cut through the noise. He's like, you stopped at the wrong line. Oh, no. So I had stopped at the – because I got confused by all the different markings on the track, and I stopped oh. at the wrong line, and like five or six people <laughs> had passed me since I had stopped. And like I just – oh, I never lived that down. Oh, it was such, so such an embarrassing moment for – I mean, I was like eleven or something. So that was that was just horrific. But and I always I always made sure to to clarify where the actual finish line was from there on out. That's for sure. All right, so Pastor, let's say, go ahead and use your imagery. Go uh, give us some in a minute and a half left in this segment. Give us some encouragement out there. People who are tired, people who are weary, not with running, not with any of this, but just life. People are worn down. Uh, what what is some encouragement and some imagery we can take from this? You know, I think a lot of times the American sentiment is just keep running. And I think that in some cases, the keep running motif is really helpful. Um, But I actually think a lot of times we, 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 that's part of our problem is we don't actually ever rest. We don't ever, Mm. you know, so I think you can both keep your eye on the prize and also give yourself a pit stop every once in a while. I just think. I don't know. It's so easy for us to keep using the uh, the finish line metaphor as yeah. an excuse to like burn the candle at both ends and to never take a break. I think it's really, really important if we want to finish the race well because it is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm. And the thing that I think is probably worth remembering is that it's also a relay. It's not just it's not just me. Who am I passing the baton to? Who, who am I investing in? Who, who am I pouring my life? Who's my apprentice? Who am I like thinking through those things? It's not just about me yeah. living a great life like I need to be pouring into not only my family, but the people coming along yeah. behind me. And who are the people pushing us on when you're wanting to quit? Yeah, Just right. go and keep going. Right. Keep going. So it is uh, it is uh, a good imagery out there. Pastors, that's that's a free one for you this week on Easter. Talk, <laughs> Use the Boston Marathon. You'll be good to go. So anyway, coming up next, we're excited, man, to welcome Dallas Jenkins back into the studio. He's going to stay with us for a little while. Talk all things media. How do we as Christians process uh, Game of Thrones, for instance, and yep. other Uh, media topics. We're excited to have that conversation with Dallas Jenkins. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. As always, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can text us as well. 68683, type in CG, and then whatever comment or question you have for us. Well, Ian, I'm excited. We're joined in studio uh, for the second time by Dallas Jenkins. Dallas, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for being here. And the first time you introduced me, you you mentioned that I had been delighting audiences all over the world for <laughs> many years. right. And I didn't hear that this time. Did you stop delighting audiences? The delight has ended. This nope. is some bio that you guys got that I didn't approve of, <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah. it was very positive. He's worked in Hollywood for nearly two decades. I'll skip all the other stuff. And it just says he's inspiring and unexpected stories of faith has delighted audiences around the world. Oh, wow. Not just locally. Around the world. You're a global delight. A global delighter. <laughs> yeah. You cannot... You can follow Dallas on Twitter at Dallas Jenkins. That's at Dallas Jenkins. Well, at Dallas Jenkins. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we've just kind of had the idea of having you in, not just to talk about the project you're on right now and doing that's about to launch tomorrow, but more so just to kind of spread around. Uh, we have lots of thoughts and questions about media. Yeah. And so somebody who's kind of in that field. Uh, so if you're good with it, we're just going to spitball and, and throw a bunch of stuff at you. Yeah, I think we want to start doing this on a more regular basis yeah, and talk about media, talk about the church and media. I, I'm someone who grew up in the church. 
uh, and always had a passion for media. But yeah. when I was growing up, the church and media had a very negative react, That's uh, right. yep. relationship. It was yep. usually in the form of a boycott. And so, <laughs> but, some kind of picketing, yeah. some kind of sign. Yeah, but that has that has changed over the years. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, now, in fact, over you know, from 2010 to 2018, I actually made uh, features and short films from my church, and which also ultimately led to the show that we're going to talk about later. But yeah. but yeah, so I have I have a unique, I think, passion for the church engaging with media. And I think you guys do as well. Absolutely. And that was some of your original passion was to say, Hey, the, the artistry that I'm seeing often depicted by churches is subpar. How, how right. do we create better art right. as Christ followers, which I think is, that's a, such an interesting journey that's led you to where you're at now. Right. And one of the things I, first anecdotally, I think, I think we call this segment media Mondays, right? Sure. How does that sound? We're pastors. We love alliteration. Media Mondays. Tune in yes. next Monday. <laughs> Dallas Jenkins is going to help us yeah. reconcile some of these conflicting ideas. But the, the conversation that seems to be in everyone's mind right now is Game of Thrones, right? So season eight premiered last night. Uh, Brian was sharing a little earlier. He's never seen it. Never seen one. We have people at our well, church. You love Jesus, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's kind of what I want to ask you about because even in our church, there's people that are fanatics and other people that cannot believe that Christ followers would would even sure. consider a show right. like that. How how do you interact? It's both an artist and a director, but also right. a person of faith. Like when you see all the buzz, I know people are hosting, you know, like watch parties, and it was one of the rare times in recent history where everyone seemed to stop at the same time to sure. watch something at the same time. Yep. I think there's significance to that. What, what's been kind of your own uh, internal dialogue as it comes to Game of Thrones in particular? Well, I had not watched Game of Thrones for the first six or seven years that it was out. And my wife and I had heard how many how awesome it was and how amazing it was. And, and, and as a director, filmmaker, writer, I tend to try to watch all the great stuff yeah. right. because it makes me better. Uh, Game of Thrones for us and for me in particular as a male was kind of the one of the shows that went over the line for me because mm. of the nudity and the sex. And that has been kind of our own personal uh, tipping point, right. know, meaning like that's the line we don't usually cross. Right. Uh, we were talking off air about the fact that that seems to be relatively common for many Christians. Yes. Seem to be cool with violence, <laughs> not cool with nudity. More uh, than just cool sometimes, like, you know. Well, Passion of Christ was like our, our version of... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, so, um, it was our brave heart. Yeah, exactly. So the reason for that, uh, for me personally, and I think that this applies across the board, is that uh, I think Christians can usually see violence and have it not cause them to sin, mm. to use a Christianese term. Yeah. So I have never watched a violent show and thought, I'm going to go be violent myself. Mm. Um, now, shows that celebrate violence, I think there an argument can be made that, that sometimes Christians get a little too wrapped up in the concept of revenge. Mm. I had a pastor tell me once, he goes, I, he goes, we talk about how sex sells all the time. He goes, to me, one of the things that I'm concerned about, at least with Christians, because Christians tend to agree, we shouldn't watch pornography, we mm -hmm. shouldn't watch sex on screen, uh, we shouldn't watch things that cause us to lust. Um, but... He said one of the things that I find that people get excited about is revenge. Mm. And how many violent shows have we seen where we're really rooting for someone to get theirs? Yeah, mm. right. And we get excited by the killing of someone yes. who did something wrong to uh, someone else. Right. And Braveheart's a, you know, a great yes. example of yes. that. I mean, I think a lot of Christians uh, have loved Braveheart and yep. get, get truly excited by some of the scenes where where that revenge takes place. Yeah. So I do think that we do need to be careful about that. But on a general level, for example, Game of Thrones is not a show uh, that in, that looks at violence in a, isn't this wonderful kind mm. of way. 
So my wife and I, after we got VidAngel, which is a streaming service that allows you to filter out what you find offensive. So literally we get the app. It's at vidangel.com. We get the app and they don't do the filtering. They allow you to do it. So oh. they literally list everything that could be potentially offensive. Oh, really? And we go through there and can literally, it'll, it'll say sex scene or nudity, and we can, we can literally eliminate it before we watch it. Wow. And, uh, and it is interesting that we don't do that to any of the violence. Mm. My right. wife and I just haven't found that to be something that offends us, and it doesn't cause us to sin in any way, whereas uh, explicit sex scenes would. It would yeah, cause right. me especially, not less my wife, but more me. And so we, we avoid those um, and certainly avoid the celebration of, of, uh, of sexual behavior. Um, so I think that's why mm. violence tends to be a little bit less offensive right. to Christians than right. sex does. Um, but to your point about Game of Thrones and uh, is that okay to watch? I mean, there are, like you said, there are many Christians. I mean, I once posted a picture on our Facebook page, uh, a screenshot from my show, The Chosen, which is about Jesus and, and, the, life, and the life and times of Jesus and his followers. And I had a picture of the Pharisees gathered in this synagogue and the lighting was really cool and stream of a beam of light. And I said, oh, this is our Game of Thrones style shot. Mm. And there was a couple of people who came on and said, how dare? I mean, they were oh, really wow. offended. Oh, really? That you even hint at a show like that wow, and imply no that maybe you've seen that show and that's really offensive. And I was like, okay, I, I, I'm not encouraging you to watch the show. I'm just saying that this looks like, yeah. a, scene, like a shot. In the style of. Yeah, yeah the, their style. So it is, it is for sure a hot-button topic. But I do think that Christians should look at less the show itself, but the fact that that show has aroused so much passion hmm. in a way that I think we as the church want to arouse. I mean, yeah. we, we for sure want people to be gathering on Sundays yes. yeah, for, for, totally. for parties or watch parties. And I, whenever the world succeeds at doing what the church wants to do, mm. we should un, we should try to understand why. Like, yeah. what's the narrative that's so appealing to the masses, yes. and what can we learn from? Which is kind of like what you're doing with that post, right. and yet you're finding the divide, right? Like, right. oh, you can't even hint at something right. that, quote-unquote, the world is doing successfully right. because we have to distance ourselves entirely yeah. from that. And I think, I think you're spot on. Like, wh- what stories are garnering uh, response and buy-in and excitement? Right. And the other... to to harken back to what you're saying about the sex violence dichotomy, too, the thing that I find so interesting, you said the reason that we tend to think the violence is okay is because I'm not going to like watch it and then go out and murder somebody. Right. But in the same way, though, a lot of times if the scene is somebody with a prostitute, you're not necessarily then going to go, you know, watch it and then go get a prostitute. It doesn't right. garner that action either. And yet we sort of do, we categorize one as just, just unacceptable and the other sort of as... Right. Well, I can there, engage in this because I'm not going to sin. Yeah. But there's an immediate response yeah. that I think oh, that's a good point. all the men listening can identify with, which is when I watch a sex scene, there is a, there is a response in the moment that is sinful or at least has a propensity for sinful hmm. thoughts. Um, whereas when I watch um, now, again, to be clear, I do think there are moments that are violent moments that where we watch them and get excited yeah, and right. go, yeah, get them. Yeah. Now that. That I think could be in the category of sin, That's, and, yes, and in the same agreed. category as a lustful yeah. response. It's maybe not lust for sex, but it's lust for violence. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that happens, and I do think we dismiss that a little bit too easily uh, as Christians as, as not a problem. And I think we need to watch that. But yeah. in a, in a vacuum, looking at, for example, The Passion of the Christ, one of the most violent movies of all time, uh-huh. where Christians around the world gathered together yeah. and watched it, nobody was watching that, thinking this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. This is this is my my mind is 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 uh is excited by by right. violence and I'm going to go out and, and reenact that whereas that that I can say that always happens 
in a sex scene. It yeah. always happens mm-hmm. where, uh, especially males, uh, are struggling in, with their thoughts. It's a thought that lingers with them later. Uh, it's a thought that can interfere with their relationship with their wife. Whereas, uh, you know, uh, Jesus being whipped on a, uh, yeah, you know, right. on a, on a cross yep. is not having that same action. I do think That's there good. is a difference. Good. Man, I'm going to enjoy these Media Mondays. This yeah. Is, this is good. Well, we're going to come, Dallas is going to stay for our next segment, and we're going to talk about some more media topics, but then we're going to dive into his project called The Chosen uh, that launches tomorrow, I believe. And so uh, we're very excited about that. Dallas Jenkins is joining us, and he will stay with us. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm, and uh, Dallas Jenkins is still joining us for what we are. We're kind of spitballing at uh, Media Mondays. How's that sound? So Dallas is here helping it's not us. Cheesy at all. Not I just want to say that it's media not at all. and it's Monday. Oh, like yeah. what could go wrong? With I'm going to design a cartoon mascot to go with it. It's going to be great. It'll look like media Salty Monday. Hosted by Salty the Songbook. We need a guy in the background. Go Media <laughs> Monday, Monday, Monday. Yes. There we go. So Dallas is here to help us. Uh, just kind of think through things going on in the in the world of media. So last segment, we talked all about Game of Thrones, which was fascinating. Even for me, who has never seen an episode of the show. Uh, all right. You're a better Christian than us. We get no, it. Exactly we've lost question. all of our viewers, <laughs> listeners, because Dallas came on and said, hey, welcome to my Media Mondays. Uh, just so you know, I watch Game of Thrones with my wife. People have not listened to those guys ever again. But we do filter out yes, the sex scenes. That's so. true. That's yeah, true. just one of the big takeaways that you could use vidangel.com and, uh, and do that. Uh, before we get into your project, I want to ask a quick question. Um, those of us in churches, our Twitter and Facebooks have been blown up with right two movies right now, Breakthrough and Unplanned. And yes. just curious, as as a guy who makes wants to make good movies, good art, uh, when those kind of things come out, do you get excited? Uh, do you go see them? Or uh, do you get worried? Yeah, what are your reactions when these movies come out? Yeah, no, I, I'm always excited. I mean, the the guys who did Unplanned are good friends of mine. They actually wrote uh, the, a movie I did back in 2010 called wow. What If? And... Um, so it's it's always great. I mean, and because it, it always causes Hollywood to wake up and yeah, go, "Wow, okay, right. there's an audience for this." Um, and so breakthrough just I think opens up. I mean, not to uh, not to be a, say something cheesy, but breakthrough does open up. It breaks through uh, Hollywood for getting mm-hmm. more opportunities. Um, ironically enough, my feature film that came out a couple of years ago through Hollywood bombed at the box office, mm. which ultimately is what led to my show, The Chosen. Um, and so I don't really personally care anymore about trying to come through the Hollywood system. Gotcha. I mean, one of the things that's uh, really interesting is episode four of The Chosen closes with eight minutes of credits of literally thousands of investors because my show was crowdfunded yeah. from you know over 15,000 people. And so that is kind of my passion now. So I don't yes. care personally about it as much, mm. but anytime it's... It, here's what I would say. If you are interested in seeing Breakthrough or Unplanned, uh, that's awesome because... There was a time when those movies would never just didn't exist. Exactly. When I was growing up, there just simply wasn't options yeah, yeah, for, right. for me to watch a show about my faith, about my family, uh, a, a, a scene that was, took place in a church. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen. Yeah, right. And now that that's happening, it's a good thing. Whether you like each movie or not, yep. at least the options are there, and that's that's unprecedented and, and a really positive development. Awesome. Yeah, no kidding. Well, right. Let's talk about The Chosen. Yeah. Uh, that's your new project. Let me give some background on it. It's thechosen.tv. And uh, like you just said, it's crowdfunded $10 million. It's the largest crowdfunded media project ever. Right. Uh, and it starts, uh, it becomes available tomorrow. So why don't you give us just a little bit of the background and um, uh, 
How can people access it? Tell us a little bit more about The Chosen. Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, the topic we've discussed today is is shows that have been binge-watched, shows that gather people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, this, this show is also about church, and uh, this this project started uh, at my church uh, that I was uh, attending several years ago here in Chicago, and I made a short film for the church's Christmas Eve service. It was about the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds, mm. and I shot it on my friend's farm you know, in Hampshire, uh, and uh, it was 20 minutes. Very long story short, we ended up partnering with VidAngel, which is a, a streaming service I hadn't heard of, but that again, it allows you to, to filter out uh, offensive com- content from some of your, your potentially favorite shows. And I was watching a lot of great shows at the time. I was watching shows like you know, Breaking Bad or This Is Us or yeah, uh, Parenthood yeah. or whatever, Friday Night Lights. And I was like, why has there never been a binge-watchable show about the life of Christ? That's there's been movies, there's been miniseries, but there's never been a multi-season show where you can dig into the characters, dig into mm. these stories, and not just kind of gloss over them going verse to verse, miracle to miracle. And I've found that a lot of movies and miniseries that I've watched about Jesus have been somewhat emotionally distancing mm. because, first yeah. of all, the main character is usually Jesus, and I can't fully identify with the sinless Son of God. Yeah, right. Um, but also the stories that I could identify with, the characters who I could identify with, are usually, like I said, glossed over. They kind of go from story to story. So this big miracle happens, and it's great, but I didn't identify with or see Jesus through the eyes of that person. And so... Mm it just wasn't quite as impactful, I think, as it could be. Mm. So a show where you can really invest in the characters and, and see the world through their eyes and then encounter Jesus through their eyes, the impact can be the same as what they experienced. And so that's where the idea came from. We didn't know if it would work or not. We tossed that short film out on Facebook and said, is this mm. the kind of show you'd be interested in? Yeah. Is it a multi-season show? And uh, I thought it was a ridiculous idea because... <laughs> Like I said, I think I said this last time I was on, I mean, the all-time crowdfunding record was $5.7 million, and we needed at least $8 million to do a first season that was really worthy of, of the story. Right. And, uh, and again, we raised over $10 million from 15,000 people. It was insane. You and, blew uh, the record out of the water then. Yeah, it's yeah. not even close. Yeah. So the first four episodes we filmed uh, last fall, and they are debuting tomorrow, Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, the 16th. The, the full-length trailer debuts tomorrow as well, so that's going to be on Facebook Hopefully you'll see it. And um, and uh, so when people watch the trailer and they get excited, they will be able to immediately watch the show. They awesome. can go to thechosen.tv. The first episode is free. If you want to download all four episodes, uh, it, it does cost something, but the first episode is free. And so we're just doing something outside the system. We're, yeah. we're giving people the opportunity to binge watch. You know, again, one of our hashtags that we've seen kind of pop up is hashtag binge Jesus. <laughs> like, if you're going to binge something, you know, if people are binging Game of Thrones, if people are binging uh, all these very popular shows, Stranger Things and whatnot, uh, might as well binge a show about the life of Christ. Yeah, no followers. kidding. Okay, so I, I didn't really think about this until I heard you talking about it. And this is clearly outside of my wheelhouse, but I know typically... Uh, shows have a pilot, and they're like pitching it to people that decide, you know, yay or nay, we're going to fund yeah. it. You you had a weird, unique glimpse into what people were interested in by by crowdfunding it. Hey, would this be a concept and a format that you would find interesting? And people responded with a ten million dollars of yeses, right? Yes, like, and th- it was it was we we made it difficult because this wasn't like Kickstarter where you just go and you click a button and you can invest ten bucks or donate ten yeah. bucks. Okay, this was actually an investment. Not just a donation. Oh, so, interesting. So if you get, went to the website last year, you had to set, you know, you had to click on a button, then you had to fill out your information. You had to read this. I mean, there was these investment documents that people had to at least pretend that they read because the SEC, because <laughs> the SEC had to qualify this whole oh, project. This was an investment, and the minimum was a hundred dollars. 
Wow. So, so that you couldn't get $10 here, $10 yeah, there yeah, right. at all. So there were lots of people who wanted to do that. But over the course of you know several months, over 15,000 people took that time mm-hmm. to invest at least $100. And you know at the end of episode four, there's eight minutes worth of credits because you know, anyone who invested $250 or more gets their name in the credits. Wow. There's eight minutes of credits of eight eight, 8,000 people that wow. we, we listed. And it's a, my wife just called me actually on the way to do this interview because she said, I just watched episode four and just watched the credits. And she was crying because she's oh. like, those people are responsible yeah. for this show. Their, their, their ties, you know, their, their loaves and fishes, you know, yeah. were brought to our loaves and fishes and we're going to watch Jesus feed the 5,000. Can I ask you a question about that then? Because that's, that's sort of what I was getting at. Does, does raising the money ahead of time and then having this example of eight minutes of credits, does that do something to your fervor or your storytelling when like, I imagine you you hit roadblocks and there's difficulties in shooting and things doesn't like, does that, does that feel like a crushing weight? Like, Oh, I have all these investors or is it like, Oh man, all these people believe mm. in this. Let's, let's do it right. Well, yes, but I don't both? know that it's, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, I don't know that it adds any more pressure than the pressure of telling the stories of Jesus and his followers <laughs> right. and right. feeling a responsibility to do that. But yes, I, this whole project has been extremely weighty, mm. um, but I feel a tremendous privilege. I feel like for whatever reason, God has chosen me to tell the stories of his followers in a way that hasn't been done before. Um, and it's birthed out of a passion to have people encounter Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him Hmm. and be changed in the same way. And so that has been happening. We did a screening on Friday night for thousands of people. And Hmm. the response was, I could, I couldn't have scripted it better. The response was overwhelming. I think people were just truly, truly impacted. They were weeping. They were saying, I've never seen anything like this before. And as someone who's grown up in the church and has seen every Jesus project ever made, it's been, (laughs) it's been truly uh, inspiring to, to, to pull off. And it's only because of, of God providing these people yeah. who put up their widow's might uh, in some cases hmm. uh, to, to make this happen. That's yeah. fantastic. So you can go to thechosen.tv yeah. and right there they'll be able to get, um, be able to watch the first one you said for free. Yep. And uh, are you hoping that in the short time we have, are you hoping like uh, groups of people get together, you know, small groups of churches do this or yes. is it more like, man, I want you to grab your neighbor, bring your neighbor over all that. Yeah. All of that. Um, we have what's called watch parties where you can, I mean, you can download all four episodes and, and then have people over to your house and just watch the four episodes together and, 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 and talk about them. But yeah, we, we, we anticipate and hope that this is the kind of show that people gather together yeah. mm. and watch together and experience Jesus through the eyes of those who actually met him. That's cool. awesome. Well, man, we're excited for you. I'm excited to get on there today. And, yeah. Uh, you're no going to watch man. it too. And uh, that's at thechosen.tv. That's thechosen.tv. Well, Dallas, thanks for joining us. We should do this again, right? <laughs> Maybe next Monday. I have an idea. Media Mondays. <laughs> Oh, that's way better than my idea. See, these, creative, these creative types get in here and they just What an Enneagram four over here, man. <laughs> this has been Dallas Jenkins joining us. Talk about all things media, but also go uh, follow him on Twitter at Dallas Jenkins and also at thechosen.tv and check that out. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. And now's the time to land that plane. Here we go. If you've been with us through our time, our three months or so, then we always end the show with just crazy things we found on the Internet. Just funny stories, 
and uh, our disclaimer is always the same, and that is this: that we may not know, we do not know what we are about to read. Did you say may not know? Uh, we we may not know. We actually don't know what we're about to read. We don't know the drops that are coming. We cannot be held responsible if they insult you. Or anything like that. Is that good? Is that a good disclaimer? I mean, let's find out. All right, you go first. <laughs> you want me to go first? I do. All right, I do. here we go. Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, mysterious <laughs> bowls of mashed potatoes confuse Mississippians. Wow. Confuse me as well. I actually saw this one. <laughs> Residents of a neighborhood in Jackson, Mississippi, are confused by the bowls of mashed potatoes they're finding on their cars, porches, and mailboxes. Resident Jordan Lewis described the Bellhaven neighborhood as a quirky one. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> <You think>? With <laughs> residents decorating road signs and putting Christmas trees in potholes. So we don't know if someone is just playing a prank or if someone just had a lot of leftovers. <laughs> but Sebastian, last name I can't say, says some residents fear there's a more sinister message behind the potatoes. Oh. Some people were thinking maybe the mashed potatoes were poisoned to kill animals? Oh, okay. my word, he said, noting that he almost stepped into a bowl of potatoes, Susie. I didn't taste it. I have a three-second rule, so I didn't touch it, but some people were worried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. This Fair one's enough. out of Texas. All right. Man used James Bond technology to hide his license plate, but now he owes $5,400 in <laughs> toll. A Texas man was arrested after cops realized he was using a license plate flipper to avoid paying tolls. I've actually thought of this. Like, Can you cover your license plate? <laughs> You've thought of this? I have. The Harris County Precinct uh, charged Preston Cody Talbot with possession of the device. The license plate flipper, like something out of a James Bond film, gives users the ability to flip their license plate 180 degrees to display another plate. <laughs> That's not what I thought of. It is installed at the back, and the driver only has to push a button to switch the, the display. The website that sells these devices says this product is great for use in car shows, advertisements, or as a novelty, but they discourage the use of their product to avoid red light cameras, beating red light cameras, or avoiding toll booths altogether. He was pulled over at a routine stop for not paying a toll, and he was arrested because they noticed the license plate flipper. He now owes $5,400. Was that wrong? <laughs> Should I not have done that? Good sign, oh, see, I thought for sure that'd be a James Bond quote. Nope. Uh, Canada, which is not a state, but nope. all right, we'll go with it. Man accidentally stole car 21 years ago, now searching for owner. Accidentally. <laughs> uh-huh. A man from Manitoba, Canada, wants to find his unintentional victim and apologize. What's the worst mistake you've ever made? We doubt it will top the story of Kevin Freeman from Manitoba, Canada. He accidentally stole a car 21 years ago, and now he's trying to find his victim in an attempt to make amends. In an interview with CBC News, he described himself as a good two-shoes. How did someone like him end up stealing a car? Well, it's a combination of mistaken identity, ubiquity, and a strange quirk of Fords from the era. Back when he was 17, in August of 1998... Friedman asked to borrow a co-worker's car to run a couple of errands. The month, uh, the month prior, he's he has struck a cow. What? Yeah, I think it's supposed to oh, say. Okay, all right. <laughs> he had struck a cow while driving and totaled his car. As a favor, he planned on returning with Slurpees for him and his co-worker. His colleagues passed Friedman the keys to the car, a light-colored 90s Ford Taurus, a common, unremarkable car from that era. Amen. I had one. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> well, I didn't. I had an escort. Friedman promptly found a white Ford Taurus with the doors unlocked and the windows down, and he assumed it belonged to his coworker. It didn't. 
<laughs> because of the nature of the Ford keys and locks at the time, he was actually able to get the car to start after some difficulty. After making a stop at the police station to pay a parking ticket, he had some trouble unlocking the car and actually had the police help him out. Later, worried that he had damaged his co-worker's car, he discovered the horrifying truth that he had unintentionally stolen a stranger's car. Now, years later, he'd like to contact the other party, formally apologize, and hear their side of the story. So far, he hasn't had any luck, but when it happens, we hope cameras are rolling. Oh, this isn't where I park my car. <laughs> their side of the story. Their side of the story is you stole my car. <laughs> yeah, but I want to know what that was like to walk out to, you know, hopefully find their car and all it's right. just not there at all. Pennsylvania, a uh, woman who, quote, has to pee, steals truck from city employees. <laughs> when you got to go, you got to go. But a woman with a full bladder gave new meaning to the expression. She allegedly asked some Philadelphia city workers uh, to pee between two of their parked work trucks, but she took off in one of the vehicles. Instead, given her dilemma, the employees granted her permission to re- relieve her batter, but bladder between the two of their park trucks, but instead she drove off with one of them. You gotta go, you gotta go. <laughs> All right, last one out last of England. One. Ghost Hunter says he photographed late grandpa peering out of kitchen window. Oh. oh. See, I see the image now, and it's terrifying. It looks like Grandpa. Could this spooky face be the ghost of Jason Griffith's Grandpa? Griffith's Grandpa, Alan Price, died more than two years ago, but since his passing, some of the Griffith's family members have reported some unusual activity at the home where Price used to live, according to the British news agency SWNS. Recently, while visiting his grandpa's old house where his uncle now lives, Griffith snapped a photo he believes shows Price peering out the kitchen window. The more I look at it, the more I see my granddad in it. He used to wear flat cap, and it looks like the ghost's wearing a similar hat, so Griffiths recruited his best friend, Stephen Richards, also a ghost hunter, to uh-huh. come by and check it out. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I thought at first that someone had broken into the house from upstairs, Richards said. Then, I suddenly felt footsteps brush past me. The pair vowed to keep on investigating. <laughs> yeah, accurate. Joinks, what happened? I think he fainted. Los! Los! That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Anyway, those are the craziness that we end the show with. We're glad that you joined us on this Monday. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.